listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. Hosted by high-stakes headhunter, author, and professional speaker, Scott Love. Hey, this is Scott Love, and thanks for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. If you're in the business of getting business, then this is the show for you. Each week, we bring ideas, insights, tips, and strategies from the leading experts who are on the front lines of getting business from clients. Our guest today is Josh Barron. His topic is going to be building referral relationships without begging or advertising. Now, he's a criminal defense attorney in Salt Lake City, Utah. Now, if you're not an attorney, don't worry. You're still going to get some great ideas. He's at the top of his game in his field. He's done very well for himself. He's represented clients in serious felonies and misdemeanors throughout the state since starting his own practice in 2009. He lives in Lehigh, Utah with his wife and 11 children, and he's the author of The Business of Criminal Law. How to Build a Criminal Defense Practice You and Your Clients Will Love. Josh graduated from Cal Poly with a degree in history when he was 18 years old. He and his wife have been foster parents to 30 children. He's a pretty interesting guy. When you're done with listening to the show, make sure you visit the show notes to follow him on LinkedIn and his other links that we give to you. And as always, thanks for listening. Tell a friend. Give us a five-star review. Do a retweet with the show if you hear something that you like. And as always, send me a note if you've got ideas for future guests. Anyways, thanks for listening. Here's my friend, Josh Barron. Hey, this is Scott Love. Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Rainmaking Podcast. I'm excited to have our guest today. His name is Josh Barron, and our topic is building referral relationships without begging or advertising. Josh, thanks for joining me on the show today. Delighted to be here. Thank you. And I love the topic title, without begging or advertising. I feel like, oh, please, please give me a referral. It's, uh, so I'm, <laughs> glad you, I'm glad you set it up that way. So tell us a little bit about you. You're, you live in a pretty cool part of the country. What did you do when you uh, started in your career to where you're working today as an attorney? Well, my first job out of law school was pretty miserable. I was a real estate litigator in Park City, Utah, mm. and I just hated it. So then I just decided I'm going to try the most different thing from this and see if I can make this lawyering thing work. So I was a prosecutor for a year for Salt Lake City. And then from there, in 2009, I started my own criminal defense practice with another attorney, Yosef Sharifi. He was a prosecutor with me. We left together. And I've been doing criminal defense since 2009. And, you know, initially we were very advertising based, uh -huh. but in 2017, we started to make some real progress on the referral front. And, and, uh, I'm very fortunate that we don't advertise anymore. It's all based on referrals. And I just can't tell you how much better of a, of a practice it is when you don't have to do that. Yeah, that's interesting. And so a criminal defense practice, so you're not dealing with people that have squeaky clean reputations, I'm assuming. You're dealing with people, real people that have real problems, yet you're able to get referrals from them. So how did you how did you get started building referrals within your practice? Well, initially I thought that it was impossible because sort of my ideal client is like a doctor or a lawyer or a professional who gets charged with a crime. Mm -hmm. And I just would never expect them to talk to their friends and say, Hey, when I got my DUI, Josh Barron really helped me. <laughs> you know, that's just not realistic. And right, I, right. So right. no matter how good my work is, I'm not going to ask them to hurt their careers in that way. So for a long time, we just thought it wasn't possible. And what I didn't realize was that I was ignoring sort of second order referrals, referrals from people who know my clients, but not necessarily directly from my clients. So let me, let me get a definition here. Second order referrals. What does that mean exactly? Yeah. So it's, it's someone who's going to be a source of clients, but isn't necessarily going to be a client themselves. 
So about 90% of my referrals come from other attorneys. I bet most lawyers, you know, it may depend on the practice area, but many attorneys are probably in a similar position. So, you know, I get an occasional referral from a former client, but mostly it comes from other attorneys. And so it took me a long time to kind of realize that that was an untapped kind of potential source of clients for me. And then once I really focused on building those relationships, it was it was a game changer. Yeah. So you you saw that there was a trend and you took enough notice to say, I'm going to double down on the strategy. I'm going to be more intentional and deliberate about getting these second order referrals. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what really happened too was in 2017, my partner retired. So I was all of a sudden a solo practitioner mm-hmm. and I started thinking, what kind of practice do I want? And I thought of this particular attorney, his name's Aaron, and he has this great practice where he doesn't advertise. He's super busy. He's well compensated, you know, and I just thought I'm going to do what Aaron does. And I noticed that he spent time cultivating relationships with other attorneys and And so I just imitated that, honestly. I had to kind of find my own style of doing that. I'm not the same attorney as he is, but the opportunity was there and and it was clearly there. So within your unique focus areas, is it particularly difficult to get your clients to send you these referrals when they just really don't want to talk about their charges? Yeah. I mean, again, I wouldn't even expect them to, you know, there's this, I mean, I'm sure you've heard of net promoter score. Mm -hmm. So net promoter score measures the loyalty of your clients, but you might have clients who've grown out of your services or who aren't big enough yet for your services, or, you know, there's all these, these situations where they may be super loyal. They may love you, but they really aren't in a position to use your services. And so most of my clients are, they're only going to use me once and it would be harmful to their careers to go around singing my praises. You know, they want to kind of put that chapter in their life behind them. So, you know, really honestly though, a first step in our building our referral relationships was delighting those clients. Again, because I thought that they couldn't send me referrals, I thought it didn't really matter. But it turns out that when people send you a referral, they have to have a lot of confidence that you're going to give a great experience to that client, especially if it's one of your ideal clients. And so the first step was really transforming the client experience so that they were just you know delighted with me. And then that was a foundation that we could build referrals on. So let me ask you this, transforming the client experience. How did you come up with that concept? What was it that led you to say, I really need to improve in this so that they have this great experience so they want to refer people to me? Yeah. So I'd read this book called The Power of Moments by Dan Heath and Chip Heath, and it talked about net promoter scores. And I had not heard of it. You know, I'm, I was a history major in undergrad. I was, a, you know, went to law school. So we decided to do a net promoter score survey. And uh, one of my paralegals ran it and she brought me the score and it was, you know, this number and I didn't know what it meant. And I was like, is that good? And she started sort of edging out of my office. She didn't want to (laughs) say. So we ended up finding some, you know, comparable scores and it was pretty close to like Comcast's net promoter score. Like they hated us. My clients hated me. And I had known that there was some dissatisfaction. We got a lot of complaints from clients, but I thought it was their fault. I was like, I'm doing good work. They're not grateful. How dare they? You know, I I kind of had a little bit of an entitled attitude towards them. But when we saw that kind of number and it was staring me in the face, I kind of realized like, I'm the common denominator here. All of these people have me as an attorney, so I can't really blame anybody else. Interesting. Is that more this net promoter score? I've heard of it. I've never really studied that before. Oh, yeah. Is that more of a retail thing? Is it B2B? Is it people with big law firms selling to in-house chief counsel? Would that apply to them? 
Yeah. So net promoter score is really interesting. It's a one question survey. The question is on a scale, this isn't exact, but it's pretty close to on a scale of one to 10, how likely would you be to recommend us to a friend or loved one? And so basically the people in the middle, you sort of throw out, and then you look at your people who are detractors, the ones and twos, and your promoters, the nines and tens. And, you know, we just had some serious detractors, like people who were like actively telling people don't work with these guys because it's not a good experience, you know? And so it was very humbling. It was very, and so net promoter score, I think could be used in a lot of different scenarios. I think retail is kind of an obvious place that it's used. And my practice is honestly pretty retail, but you know, there's other, you know, if you, let's say you have four clients and they're large institutional clients, and let's say your point of contact is this, you know, in-house counsel at each of those. Maybe you don't send them an email survey, but you know, if your paralegal reached out to them and said, you know, just curious, how are we doing on a scale of one to 10, how likely would you be to recommend us to someone? You know, you might get some kind of scary responses and then it's a number that you can work on. And that's, that's what was helpful for us. Even though we were embarrassingly low, we, we were able to work on it. And so turning that number around again. Uh, so I have a friend who's a, an attorney and he has a great practice too. He doesn't advertise. He doesn't, you know, he just it's a very lucrative practice. And I one time asked him, do you have any advice for referrals? And he said, well, I send out a lot of referrals. And he said, if I send out a referral and I get a call back complaining about the person that I referred them to, I cross that person out and I never send them a referral. It's sort of a one, one strike and you're out rule. And I thought, oh, that's interesting because I bet some people are getting some calls about me, you know? Oh, wow. So, and I think a lot of people who send us our best referrals um, have a similar kind of one strike in your out rule. Like if you if you harm their relationship with this great referral, you're not going to get a second referral. Right. Yeah. Because you lose face, you lose credibility. Yeah. 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 So our first step was really showing the people that we wanted to send us referrals that if they sent us referrals, that it would make them look good. That they would actually the opposite of save face. They would gain reputation with that person for having connected them with us, and that really started a, a chain reaction. Interesting. So what, what changes did you make within your own protocols, within your own process, with how you served your clients? Well, I think we defined our job a little broader, where initially I'd kind of said, look, if somebody comes to me for a DUI, my job is to get them as little jail time as possible or whatever the goal was in the case. But we started defining it a little bit broader where we said, I'm going to try to take the stress and anxiety of this case away from this client to the best to the best of my ability. And so what that meant was looking for ways to just go, you know, to make their day, to communicate with them better, to give them better access to me. So I give all of my clients my cell phone number now. Mm-hmm. And initially I thought that that would be a, you know, it would just destroy them. I have kids. I don't, I, I thought it would invade my life, but it's been fantastic. My clients actually contact me less. And I think it's because they know that if they need to get a hold of me, they can. So they're not like testing that and and checking whether they can get in touch with me. It's almost almost counterintuitive, right? Right, right. I mean, I really thought I was making a huge sacrifice by giving my cell phone number out, and it's been, again, the opposite. It's really improved my life. This is interesting. So when you went through this, you had your assistant do the research. What did she do? Did she send emails out to their clients? Did it document their responses by name? Was it blind, or how did, how did you do that? Yeah, so we used MailChimp, and we used, I think, SurveyMonkey. And I think SurveyMonkey had a net promoter score option. So we didn't even have to like look up the language or anything. It was pretty simple to send out. It was not blind. It was actually, you know, we knew who had given us each response. So first of all, we measured our total score. And again, that was a, that was a bummer. And then the second thing we did was we looked for these promoters and sort of put them on an MVP list. 
-hmm. And we just said like, these are the people who love what we've done. Let's make sure that we maintain a relationship with them, that they know we still care about them. And so that was nice. But again, it's just tough for one professional to refer another professional to a criminal defense attorney. And another way that we measured our success with that was uh, we looked at our five-star Google reviews. We felt like if somebody was willing to leave us a five-star Google review, that that meant we'd done our job. You know, So instead of measuring our success in revenue or even initially with Net Promoter Score, we about six months later, we did a Net Promoter Score survey and, our, and it had improved dramatically. It jumped mm. quite a bit. But uh, the Google reviews was a way on a case-by-case basis to say, you know, did we delight this client? Are they excited about us? And if they left us a, a five-star Google review, we kind of counted that as a win. And so did you work with others within your organization? Were there other people where you're pretty much being transparent and saying, this is where we really need to improve? Did you work with the a consultant on this? How did you go about doing that? So our blueprint was really the the book, The Power of Moments. Like I am such a big fan of that book. It was so, so helpful. And what it talks about is what moments matter to the client experience. Um, because you can't, I mean, it'd be too expensive and it'd be too difficult to just, you know, transform every single step of it. But what if you could find the high leverage moments and really make them higher peaks, like make them just incredible and then get rid of some of these, you know, deep valley moments. It turns out that, you know, you can pretty easily change the client experience without, without doing tons and tons more work if you just focus on the right things. So the power of moments basically uses the psychological concept of the peak end rule, which is that your remembered experience of going to Disneyland or painful experience isn't an average of all the moments. It's an average of the peak moment like the, the most significant moment, the one that really sticks in your mind right. and the end. And if those two, if you nail those two moments, then people have a great remembered experience. So we tried to create higher peaks and then try to really nail the ending of the relationship. And again, very quickly, we were able to kind of turn around what was a really bad client experience into, I think one that's stellar, like, you know, Maybe it's bragging to say so, but I think like our clients have a really good experience in working with us. Right, right. I mean, so what you've done is, and you probably already know this, this is game theory. You're figuring out what variables give you the greatest odds, the greatest impact, and you're doubling down on that. I think it's a pretty smart approach from what you- Thank you. Yeah, no, I'd never thought about it in that term, but yeah, I mean, we were looking for those high leverage moments and, you know, it's not realistic to improve every single step of the process, but we can try to really delight each client once or twice during their experience with us and then make sure that we nail kind of our our last interaction. So let me kind of ask you to define and maybe give examples when you talk about a high leverage moment and a deep valley moment. How would you define that and what would be examples of those? Yeah, let me give you an example of, uh, so I had a client who was charged with a misdemeanor, you know, honestly not like my most important client or my, you know, highest fee of that year or anything like that. But he, he reached out to me on a very busy day. I was in court when he texted me or called me and he said, I'm applying for this sales job and I really want to get this job, but they're going to not accept me for this job because of the misdemeanor that we've got pending. Mm -hmm. And so I need you to write a letter to this human resources person so that I can have a shot at this job. Mm -hmm. And I think in the past, when we've looked at our job pretty narrowly, I would have said, you know, hey, bud, like you didn't really hire me to help you get a job. I'm not your headhunter. I'm your um, criminal defense lawyer. But I thought, you know, this is really, obviously it's really important to him. And if I go out of my way, I think this could be, you know, really an opportunity to serve him and, and to break his expectations. You know, he was really 
he felt bad asking me. He knew it was out of the blue, you know? So I stepped out of court and I wrote up a letter and I sent it to my paralegal for her to send off. Took me 20, 25 minutes to, to do all of it. And I sent him a copy of the letter. And then he called me later that afternoon and he was like, man, I did not think you're going to do that. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And then he wrote, he found like six, five or six different websites to leave me five-star reviews on. Like websites that I had not heard of were sending me notifications saying, you have a five-star review from this client. And so that's just an example of, you know, it's not always systematic. Like we can't say like for every client we do blank because that kind of loses its value quickly. But when I can tell that a client is super anxious or needs something specific, I try to go out of my way to meet that need if I can or connect with them with someone who can meet the need. And the response has been fantastic. That's great. Do you keep in touch? Do you have a certain way that you keep in touch with people that you've worked with in the past or some of your referring partners? Is there anything that you do to keep top of mind with them on a regular basis? So with referral partners that are other attorneys, I mean, pre-COVID, it was going to lunch. I'm a lunch guy. I love going to lunch. And it was pretty challenging when COVID started and restaurants started shutting down and people got less and less comfortable with that. And so one way that I stay in touch with former clients is that I've gotten a lot more active on LinkedIn. And I do post every day or every day of the work week. But what's been huge with that has been the messenger function, you know, getting into an actual conversation that often turns into a Zoom call not selling anything, not asking for referrals, but just saying, hey, what are you working on? What can I help with? And if somebody's like, well, I'm trying to start this new practice area and I need to hire a lawyer who does blank, then I try to be their kind of unpaid headhunter. Like, let me see if I can find somebody or introduce you to somebody. So that's with referral partners. With the former clients, mostly we don't stay in touch with them because again, this is such a difficult chapter of their life Yeah, yeah. that they don't want an email newsletter from me telling them about developments of criminal law. You know, they kind of want to kind of cross that out. And so there are a few that I stay in touch with because like they're like actual friends. We become friends through our uh, work together, but mostly I just kind of let them kind of move on with their lives. And if they reach out to me for an expungement or something like that, then we help them out. But mostly we just say, you know, I'm so glad we could help you with this and hopefully you never need to use us again. Right, right. I think that's a, a bright way to look at that. And are there any other changes related to COVID that modified your approach in building these referral and referral partner relationships? Well, it took me months. Like I spent months of every day, like sitting in my office thinking like, how do I do this? You know, like all of my habits are gone. The stuff that I was doing before is gone. What what do I do? COVID was really helpful for me because we shut off our ads because we just, the courts were closed and we couldn't, we were spending about $25,000 a month doing Google ads. And for years, so basically from 2017 to 2020, I'd been wanting to shut off my ads, but I'd been too scared. And then I was sort of forced to. And it was just fantastic that the cases kept coming and the referrals kept coming. But I thought, you know, I've got to make sure that I'm, you know, being deliberate about this and how can I continue to meet new people and how can I uh, make sure that the relationships I build are, are meaningful enough that they feel comfortable sending referrals. And LinkedIn has really been the thing for that. You know, there's other stuff that happens kind of nationally, but you just don't bump into people anymore. You know, Uh, I worked in downtown Salt Lake and I would walk to lunch most days and I'd bump into four or five other attorneys that I know from working with them just every time I walked around for lunch, you know? And so that kind of serendipity is not happening anymore. And so LinkedIn has sort of uh, supplied some of that bumping into, and, you know, somebody comments on a post that I haven't spoken to in a while and reaching out to them and, sending them a copy of a book or, you know, just doing something to, to stay, like you said, to stay in their minds and to maintain the relationship. But one other thing that we did though, is uh, we read this book called Giftology. 
And it's such a great manual for giving meaningful gifts that help relationships. And so we sent out these cutting boards that you'd, you know, cut bread or meat or, you know, food or whatever on. And what we did was we ordered like 35 of them for people that send us referrals or people we wanted to send us referrals. And rather than putting our logo on it, we laser engraved each recipient's family name on it. So it'd say like the Baron family or whatever. And the response we got from that was just amazing. I just recently got a response from somebody we sent it to. He said, you don't know this about me, but I make artisanal bread for my family every Sunday. And normally I cut it and put it on this crappy plastic cutting board. Um, <laughs> but for the rest of my life, I'm going to put it on this wooden family engraved cutting board. I would never have thought to buy that for myself. And now it's going to be part of our Sunday tradition for the rest of our lives. So thank you so much for sending this referral, that's or excuse me, this gift. So that's something that's been huge in just building a deep relationship with the people that we know. And so has there been a payoff with that? Has there been any economic result that you've seen from doing things like this? I mean, we went from 2017 where we were receiving maybe 20% of our business and 15, 15 to 20% of our business was referrals and the, the rest was advertising based Yeah, to where... You know, in March of 2020, I would say we were about 50% referral based. Mm -hmm. And then when we shut off our ads, those referrals kept coming. And that was by far our highest margin cases. Oh, wow. So I work less now, I make more, and my clients like me better, and I'm able to do better work. And so it's been transformational. It's been, it's been a delight. What a great story, Josh. Let me ask you this. When you're building relationships with these potential referrer partners, is there there anything, are there any key questions that have helped you build these relationships? Yeah. The key question for me, I mean, it's not an easy question. Like you have to get there, but the key question is, what are you working on? Like what goals do you have? And so like, if somebody says I'm running a marathon and you know, it doesn't have to be business goals. It could be a business goal, but if somebody says I'm running a marathon, I'm not a runner. I don't know anything about running marathons, but I can send them a book about marathon running. If they are starting a blog, I can, you know, go and comment on it. If, you know, so trying to, rather than calling and saying, Hey, what can you do for me? Hey, please send me this. That's begging. That's miserable. Yeah. Nobody wants that, you know? And I, if somebody were calling me like that every three months because their CRM told them to, I would stop taking their calls. And so I never want to be that person. And instead, what I want to be is somebody who's calling and saying, what can I help with? How can I help your career? How can I help your goals? And, you know, can I introduce you to somebody? Can I um, send you a resource? What can I do to help you kind of achieve your dreams? And again, some people aren't really comfortable with that. And they're like, who are you that's asking that of me? You know, that's weird. But the ones who respond and say, you know, let me be honest, I'm really excited about this and I don't know how to do it yet. That That's a huge opportunity to really serve and show that you're in this for the long haul and that you're not being transactional. Right. And I think that's what's attractive to people when you're sincere about wanting to help them. And, and of course, they know you're in business. They know they know how that works. But when when you show that you're a giver more than you're a taker, it's just incredibly attractive to people to want to help people. And it's more than just a fundamental principle of reciprocity. Well, you know, you gave me this, so I have to give you this. I think people, they understand that's the way it is in the world, but they want to go out of their way to help you. If you're sincere, where there's no expectation, there's no hidden agenda. So I think you've also got to be strategic and smart about that and still be a good business person. So I think that's great. One of our mottos is that desperation is creepy (laughs) and generosity is attractive. And so 
if you're calling, Hey, I got to get a referral this week to meet my goal. Uh, that's creepy. You know, don't, don't make that call. Yeah. But if you call an offer and Hey, you know, I noticed that you're working on this. Can I help you with that? That is, that's attractive. People are just, they love that and they want to be involved in that. I think it's when you're dealing with sophisticated prospects and clients, they can really pick up on manipulative, contrived, self-serving expressions. They can just pick up on that. But when you're, when you're sincere, they pick up on that also. So yeah, I think you, you got to have that sincerity, you know? Yeah, yeah. So let me ask you kind of one final question, and then we'll kind of go into some of the, the three action steps. Someone sends you a referral. What do you do? Do you have protocols? I know you mentioned some some of the things that you do, but how do you retain that relationship? How do you keep them engaged to keep continuing sending referrals to you for the long term? Well, I mean, we know from research on habit building that people don't keep doing behaviors unless there's positive reinforcement. Mm-hmm. And so like something that's really important to us, part of, our, you know, it's surprising how little positive reinforcement it takes though. So somebody sends me a referral, I send them a note immediately. Thanks so much for that referral. I'm going to take great care of them. And one of the things that is, you know, kind of our new, now that we've kind of gained an, a certain amount of Google reviews, some one of the things that we love our clients to do is to go back to the referral source at the end of the case or mm-hmm. at some point and say, thank you so much for introducing us because that really positively re- reinforces the behavior we want, which is the sending of the referral. So that's something that's really, I think key is, is, you know, don't let that fall. You know, again, when somebody sends that first referral, that's a crossroads moment for that relationship. And if you let that drop, then that's, you know, you've probably poisoned that relationship and it's probably not going to happen again. So I think trying to be deliberate about the positive reinforcement, not bribing them, not sending them a kickback, you know, that, that can actually change the relationship in a negative way, just showing appreciation. Yep, that's right. And I think just in our dialogue, when we initially connected on LinkedIn, I think you commented on my podcast, we talked about people that are true rainmakers, they're not arrogant, they're uh, focused on other people. And that's one thing that we've noticed when we're talking to very successful rainmakers, they got nothing to prove. They became successful because they've got good people skills. They develop good people skills because they genuinely care about other people. So I think... uh, I think everything you say, it's, it's probably going to resonate very well with the people that are listening to the show right now, Josh. Oh, I appreciate that. So let me ask you this. If, if you could kind of summarize and bring into a formula, what are three action steps that you think people can do to kind of get started on some of the concepts that you shared with us today? So you, you told me to be prepared with that. And, I, and so I did think about, you know, what would the best, where do you start? And so I would say the first step is to try to have an honest survey of your clients. Mm-hmm. If it's possible to do it by email, I think that's best. But if you have to do it verbally, you can do that too. But just kind of asking your clients, where are we? How long, how likely would you be to refer us to someone? Not, not because you're asking for a referral, but you just want to know, you know, on a scale of one to 10, where are you with this particular client? Then the second thing I would do is I would reach out to someone and and start a new relationship and not try to be transactional about it, not say I have a goal that within three months, this person's going to send me a referral, Mm -hmm. but just to have a real sincere relationship. And the way to, I think, build that is the third action step, which is look for a way to serve that person on a regular basis. So in order to serve them, you're going to have to get to know them and you're going to have to get to know what they are really working on, what they dream of. And then you try to be 
a resource to getting them closer to that. And if you do that and you serve enough people, there's just no chance that you're not going to receive the referrals that you want and have the career opportunities that you want. It's just, I'm a hundred percent confident that I can't say when exactly it's going to work, but it'll work actually probably faster than you think. That's great. Well, I appreciate that, Josh. And, and kind of share with us, are there any resources or anything else you want people to know about your services? I know it's obvious if I'm in Salt Lake and I have a DUI, I'm going to call you. <laughs> but outside of that, I think you've written a book. What are some other resources that uh, you have that can help people listening to the show today? Yeah. I mean, if people are active on LinkedIn, I would love to connect with them in, on LinkedIn and learn more about them and just meet them and, and have a conversation with them. So please, please reach out to me on LinkedIn. And I am working on a book on uh, referral lawyering. Um, it should be done by the end of this year. So keep an eye out on that. That's great. And we're going to put both your website and also your LinkedIn profile link, uh, link on the show notes. So people listening, you can go to the show notes and be able to connect with Josh real easily that way. I'd love that. Thank you. Yeah. Josh, thanks so much for being here. It's great getting to know you. Thank you for your, for your advice. I think everything that you shared can apply to everybody that's listening to the show. So I'm sure we'll have you back on here in the future. And when, you're, when your book comes out, let me know and we'll interview you again and talk about what's in your book. Awesome. Thanks, Scott. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Josh. Thank you for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com.